This is WRAL News, your number one source for local news. It is the most specific case data we have yet. Tracking COVID by zip code, looking closer to where you live. Good evening, I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. Thank you for joining us. WRL's data trackers have been asking the state for this data for months. Just one of the several topics we are discussing at length this half hour. We also have a one-on-one -on -one with Governor Roy Cooper discussing everything from unemployment claims and answering your questions to the re-election campaign. What he has to say when asked about our exclusive WRL news poll, giving him an early big lead among voters. And WRL's Amanda Lamb will show you a new way to report domestic violence cases for those trapped in their homes with abusers. As the state works to increase testing access, we saw an additional 2,744 cases in North Carolina this week and 117 new deaths, putting us over the 400 mark. Dr. Mandy Cohen says we have flattened the curve, even though cases are climbing. That's due to more testing. We are now averaging 401 new cases per day, which is down slightly from the day before. Yesterday, we also saw our highest number of new deaths in a 24-hour period in North Carolina at 19 after a dip from the day before. Today, the state made new data available to help track cases down by your zip code. Now, this is some of the most specific data made available to date and something viewers have been asking us about for weeks. WRL's Kirsten Gutierrez is live at the Department of Health and Human Services in Raleigh. And Kirsten, this is something that we haven't really seen before. That's right, and WREL has been asking the state to also release the zip code data for a while now, and today they finally did. They created a map which shows lab-confirmed cases and deaths in every single zip code. Now, let's take a look at what it looks like. Now, you can see colors ranging from white, which indicates no cases or deaths, and various shades of blue, which indicate a range in numbers. Now, before this new feature, the state released data by county. With this method, experts tell us it'll give the community a better better sense of where the virus is and which areas are seeing hot spots, allowing for a much more focused look on how COVID-19 is spreading in our state. Now, right now, the map shows areas with denser populations are seeing more cases like Durham and Southeast Raleigh. And the reasons for that vary. One of the biggest drivers right now, and again, we've reported this several times, is uh, the congregate living settings, the nursing homes, the residential care facilities, the prisons. Uh, we are certainly seeing in places where those facilities are located that they are uh, forming the majority, in some cases, of the deaths and a significant percentage of the cases and uh, the case growth as well. Now, experts tell us this feature will help state leaders when it comes to contract tracing. It'll help them figure out where their resources need to be allocated to stop the spread. Now, this map will be updated daily, and it's just another tool the state is using to track the coronavirus. Back to you. Kirsten Gutierrez, live in Raleigh. Thank you, Kirsten. State lawmakers have spent the week figuring out how to spend billions of dollars in federal pandemic aid, and they soon may be forced to make deep cuts in the state budget. WRL's Capitol Bureau Chief Laura Leslie explains why it is both feast and famine on Jones Street. Legislative leaders tell us they've settled on a deal to spend about $1.5 billion of the Federal CARES Act funding. They're hoping to vote on that tomorrow in a rare Saturday session. They say they're holding on to more of the federal money because state dollars are going to be hard to come by. 
The House will come to order. $1.5 billion is quite a bit less than the House had proposed to spend. But House Speaker Tim Moore says it covers their top priorities, like rural hospitals and education. He expects they'll pass more relief bills soon. We still have, you know, roughly another you know, $1.9 billion that we have to appropriate as well. And so right now it's going to be using this additional time to determine what those needs are, where that money needs to go. Some of it may have to go to fill holes in the state budget. The pandemic has basically shut that down too. They're talking now like a, a shortfall of potentially $4 billion. A $4 billion shortfall would wipe out the state's reserves and rainy day fund and still leave a gaping hole in the budget. That's why Senate Leader Phil Berger wants to hold on to more of the relief funds. They may be needed to bail out the state. We are being told that some of this federal money, uh, which right now cannot be used to, uh, to, to help plug holes in our budget, uh, could, the guidance is likely to change. Now, North Carolina is far from the only state taking a severe budget hit from the virus. So far, however, Congress has not approved financial aid for the states. Laura Leslie, WRAL News, Raleigh. Outside of the Capitol building, roughly 10 demonstrators, some armed with rifles, quietly protested today. WRAL has learned that the group is part of an anti-government movement that feels their First Amendment rights are being violated by business closures and the governor's executive order. Only a handful of people showed up to a second protest at the Capitol at noon. Officers did not make any arrests in either protest. Today, the governor had another message for protesters, one of the many topics he discussed with our David Crabtree earlier this afternoon. Governor Cooper, thanks for talking with us. We're closing out another week, and now we begin a new month. We continue to hear from people daily. You talk about it most every day. The issue of unemployment and employment security. Here's my question. As we stand in the shadows of SAS and Red Hat and Citrix and so many incredible minds where information technology rests, is there not a way to deal with the backlog quickly? And what do you say to people? Well, we know that each and every unemployment insurance claim is important. It represents a family that is on the edge. This is a format and an office that had been used to dealing with 3,000 claims a week, and now they are dealing with hundreds of thousands of claims all at once. They are using the resources of private companies, in the Research Triangle Park, consulting. They've been able to increase the number of servers. They've been able to increase the number of people who are on the phone to accept calls. They've gotten out over a billion dollars in payment, and about 400,000 claimants have been paid. There are more filing every day, but they are also beefing up every single day. I have a meeting this afternoon where they're going to report to me about what they're doing to dial in even more next week. So we know that people need money as quickly as possible, and they are working night and day. They've expanded their calling hours to the weekend and to night, and 
they're going to get this thing done and get money flowing out to people, we know how critical that is, not only to those families, but to our economy, getting that money into our economy as well. And hopefully at the end of the next week, we can get into phase one and do more to re reignite our economy, and those payments will be important. It uh, sounds optimistic, Governor. You have stayed on point talking about you would make any decision based on data, science, facts, not emotion. Yet there were protesters at the gates of the executive residence this week. Uh, how do you deal with knowing what's going on, knowing the emotions of people, and staying on point? Well, people are very frustrated. They're tired of staying home. They know that our economy has been hurt by this worldwide pandemic, and they want things to happen so that we can get back to normal. Nobody wants that more than I do. But we have to do it with care and not haste. We have to do it methodically, because we're going to have to bring the people of North Carolina along with us if we're going to be successful in getting the economy reignited. Employers are going to have to show to their employees and to their customers that they're doing everything that they can to make sure that things are safe. Because even if you uh, pushed the doors open, mm -hmm. you took off every restriction today, there are a lot of people who would not engage because they're concerned about the safety of themselves, their families, and other people. I think so far the people of North Carolina have done well to flatten this curve, and our goal has been to keep our hospital system from being overwhelmed. And I think we're about to begin to get, in, get rewarded with moving into phases that's going to help stimulate the economy, but we're going to have to bring the people with, them, with us to show them that we're going to have things open safely and that they can go out of their homes safely, engage in the economy and get us back going again. Governor, you've got a very full plate. You've got a very full table in front of you daily. At the same time, in less than six months, there's going to be an election. Our latest poll shows you up two to one over your opponent, Dan Forrest. Where do you find time in your thought process to think about an election that is coming? I think if I work to be the very best governor that I can be, and that I can do the jo best job that I can do, then the election will take care of itself. Uh, fighting this COVID-19 pandemic has been a night and day event, and I've spent my time between the executive residence and the emergency operations center. In addition, being CEO of the state, trying to keep the trains on the track with other functions of state government who are dealing with the same issues that private employers are dealing with. We have a state employee workforce, of which I'm very proud, but all of those issues regarding people who are at risk, people that we want to tele telework, people who have to be on the front line in protecting them, we got to make sure that the state of North Carolina is setting an example as an employer for the private sector. So I'm working on all of those things, and uh, hopefully the election will take care of itself at the end of the day. I certainly do want the ability to continue to serve as North Carolina's governor. I grew up here. I, I, I love the state with all of my heart. We've got a lot of things that we want to accomplish. 
we're going to get through this pandemic and we're going to come out even better on the other end. Governor, one last thing, and it's a personal note. You lost a good friend with Tony Rand. You've known him for years and years. What do you say about the passing of your friend? Tony, Fran Tony Rand was a giant in this state, and he was the muscle that turned <laughs> good ideas into great law. And behind his encyclopedic knowledge of North Carolina and his brilliant wit was a love for this state, a love for his family, and a love for his Tar Heels. Uh, Tony Rand is going to be missed. Nobody like him. We're sorry for your loss personally and for the loss in the state of North Carolina. And that voice, that beautiful southern voice of Tony Rand, uh, we can all still hear it. Governor Cooper, no again, we know you are exceedingly busy. We thank you for your time, sir. Thanks, David. As David mentioned, the former Senate Majority Leader was close to Tony Rand, close friend of his. The two worked alongside one another in state politics for years. Tony Rand's family announced his death this morning saying the longtime Democratic leader suffered from skin cancer and throat cancer for years. He represented Fayetteville in Cumberland County during his time in the State House. The Student Center at Fayetteville Tech is named in his honor. The school's president released a statement today saying, quote, his ability to lead and manage effectively were demonstrated over and over in his career. And no one had more compassion for our diverse population than Tony Rand. Tony Rand was 80 years old. Quite a fixture in North Carolina politics. A new resource for people who may feel like prisoners in their own homes during this quarantine. It's not always necessarily safe and easy for people who are experiencing domestic violence. Coming up on WREL, we test out the new support system for ourselves. Welcome back. I'm Mark Boyle in the Live Center tonight. With summer travel just a few days away from really ticking up, Airbnb has changed its policies and extended waivers into June. So at the top of its page, it brings you to this right here. You'd scroll down to the extenuating circumstances policy, and there's a lot of information right here. On your screen, some of the key takeaways. Uh, it reads in part, reservations for stays made on before March 14th, so several weeks ago with a check-in date between March 14th and June 15th are covered by the policy. So right there, you have until June 15th for the check-in date. After that, Airbnb says it could make some changes, but they have not been ironed out just yet. Back to you. Thank you, Mark. While many people may have cabin fever from the pandemic, domestic violence victims can be prisoners in their own homes if they've been quarantined with their abusers. That's why Interact, a support organization for victims, launched a new tool to help them get help. WRL's Amanda Lamb explains. It says, thank you for reaching out. We're here to help. An advocate will join the chat momentarily. I tested out a new platform where domestic violence victims can chat online with a counselor from Interact using any smart device. It's just another way that we are trying to meet the need of the people in our community right now. I'm not going to name her, but somebody's joined. In about 45 seconds after reaching out, I was connected. So she just said, how may I help you? And now I'm just sending her the note. Yes, yeah, so people are very much kind of isolated together, which we understand is necessary in this kind of a public health crisis, but it also is not always necessarily 
safe and easy for people who are experiencing domestic violence. Interact has been inundated with calls for help since the pandemic started. They began offering the chatting function this week. And what we were seeing is that a lot of people didn't feel like that they could reach out to us over the phone. Uh, because they were isolating with their abusive partners. It was hard to even find space to make that phone call. A creative solution to connect with people in crisis. So it's just another way that we are trying to meet the need of the people in our community right now. Amanda Lamb, WRAL News, Raleigh. Right now, the service is being offered Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, but they hope to ex eventually expand it, and they believe it'll be popular long after the pandemic is over. UNC Chapel Hill took a familiar commercial and put a special spin on it for the graduating class of 2020. Take a look. It is not the well or the bell or the stone walls or the crisp October nights or the memory of dogwoods blooming. What binds me to Carolina is Saturdays in Keenan Stadium. The amazing faculty who encourage me every day. Definitely the Tar Heel community. Isn't always As we know, this year's graduating class is anything but traditional. The students you all see here are graduating seniors who recorded their messages away from campus. The regular semester ended last week and students are now wrapping up finals. What a great idea. Now we have taken you inside local hospitals during this pandemic. Coming up next on WRL, we take you outside. One local doctor's video blog into how he is treating patients and teleworking just like many of you. We have shown you how our local emergency departments have changed and adjusted to dealing with new patients during this pandemic. For the first time tonight, we have a perspective into how this has changed telemedicine from a doctor working remotely. Chapel Hill ER doctor Eric Galicki shows us how in tonight's video blog you will only see here on WREL. Hi. I'm Dr. Eric Golicki. I'm an emergency department doctor for UNC, working at both the Chapel Hill and the Hillsborough Emergency Departments. I also have taken on a role assisting the emergency department with outside triage and telemedicine pathways in response to the coronavirus pandemic. I was working full-time clinically until mid-April when I had a shoulder injury, which took me out of rotation. After a brief recovery, now I've transitioned to doing full-time telemedicine work for the same emergency departments. There's a lot of new stressors for clinicians in responding to coronavirus. One of my major ones, both before and after the injury, is just the new way of practicing emergency medicine. We have different triage pathways. I'm doing telemedicine that I've never done before. We have new ways of interacting with lab, radiology, and consultants, as well as different physical space to best keep our staff and patients safe. All those stressors, in addition to many people like myself, have taken on additional roles to help the hospital prepare for coronavirus, cut into the personal time when you're already feeling fairly isolated from both family and friends. I personally trained for emergency medicine at Staten Island University Hospital in New York City and still have a lot of good friends that are working in New York City in fairly busy emergency departments. It's painful to understand the level of physical and emotional stress they're going through with their level of coronavirus, sick patients and overloaded emergency departments. Back here at UNC, I'm really impressed with all my coworkers who are continuing to show up to go to work with brand new roles and aware of possible exposure and risk to coronavirus with what they're doing. Even while working remotely, I'm very proud to be one of those people. 
And check this out. Health heroes across the state received a special surprise this morning. Fighter wing at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base performed a low altitude flyover as a salute to healthcare workers and other essential employees. The F 15E Strike Eagles flew over eight hospitals in seven counties, from Johnston County down to Wilmington and Greenville. You can expect more of these flyovers in the coming days. I can't get enough of that. I know. We've seen this in other communities up in New York. I mean, it's, it's something if you've never seen it before, it's overwhelming in and of itself. And to know that that's for you has Absolutely. to mean so much more to those professionals. It is a great way to say thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. And that does it for our news at 7 o'clock. Our next newscast is at 10 o'clock on Fox 50 and 11 o'clock here on WREL. Have a great night and a great weekend.